It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight we'll be covering the very serious issue of obesity when we talk to Neve Arthurs and Deirdre Murphy and at the end of the programme Louis Murphy will join us from the Dunraven Arms Hotel in Adair to give us an insight into the history of the hotel and how he and his team have been very busy despite being closed in these challenging times. But before we speak to Neve and Deirdre, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at queenoforg or I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So World Obesity Day took place last month and it put the spotlight on this lifelong chronic relapsing disease that requires ongoing support from family, healthcare teams and wider society. Last week I spoke to Neve Arthurs, registered dietitian and researcher at Temple Street Children's University Hospital and Deirdre Murphy who is a member of the Irish Coalition for People Living with Obesity so I could get a better understanding about the disease and the supports available. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. So I'm delighted to have joined me now by Zoom, Neve Arthurs, who is a registered dietitian and researcher at Temple Street Children's University Hospital, and also Deirdre Murphy, who is an Irish Coalition for People Living with Obesity representative and a parent and person living with obesity. Neve and Deirdre, you're both very welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for having us. Well, Neve, let's start with you and let's go to the basics. What exactly is obesity? Obesity is a chronic relapsing and progressive disease and it affects people of all ages of the lifespan. At the moment in Ireland, we know that 60% of our adult population are living with overweight and about 23% of these are living with obesity. And with children, it's about um, one in about 20% of primary school age children are living with overweight or obesity. So that's about 80,000 children with obesity in Ireland today. What is the difference between being overweight and obesity? So overweight, which is also um, can be classified as pre-obesity, is where there is an accumulation of um, excess fat or um, adipose tissue in the body. But when it, when it gets to obesity, it's at a level that it's obesity is actually a disease. So overweight, I suppose, is the, the pre-obesity stage. So it's at that um, before it is, is classified as a disease. And with obesity, it's the accumulation of this excess fat or adipose tissue in the body that actually has severe negative consequences on an individual's health and on their well-being. Now, it is a very complex condition, I think it's fair to say. And there's a number of reasons that somebody can be suffering from the disease. It's not simply about overeating because from my research, there's other reasons that somebody can be suffering from it. For example, medication, genetics. Yes, and we know that up to 70% of obesity 
can be down to an individual's genetics, their genetic makeup, um, but it's also the epigenetics. So it's how the environment interplays with with an individual's genes. And we know that obesity can be influenced by not just genetics but all, and the environment, but also physiological and psychological factors, which is why it is so complex, why it is not easy to, to live with or to treat, and why it requires that ongoing care and management, and why we really need to support that 60 or 23% of the population of adults and, as I said, 20% of children and adolescents living with this disease in Ireland today. And just on treatment then, what is the, the preferred form of treatment for somebody that is suffering from obesity? It is different between adults and children, but both um, approaches in, in both um, adults and children requires a multidisciplinary team where you have experts in the field of obesity who have trained specifically and received adequate knowledge um, and skills in order to to be able to help someone with with obesity but it involves psychologists involves dietitians physiotherapists and then um, sometimes endocrinologists nurses also gps the support of gps is really really crucial and in children and adolescents the family plays a pivotal role in treatment and management because we need the whole family on board to be able to address what is going on and to help that young person. Deirdre, I want to come to you now and find out a bit more about you and your story. Can you give us a bit of your background and what led you to be part of the ICPO? Yeah, no problem. Um, so myself and my husband um, were both suffering from obesity. Um, and my husband's health started to decline rapidly. Um, and we got very worried about, you know, would he have a heart attack? And if he did, would he survive? Um, his father had had a heart attack in his 50s and Alan was 45. And we were thinking, well, if he had a heart attack in the next five years, he was an awful lot unfitter than his father and he was an awful lot heavier. Um, so we started looking into trying to get help for him initially. Um, and it took us a long time to find the right help that was out there. Um, we eventually stumbled upon an article in the newspaper talking about bariatric surgery um, in Ireland. And we didn't even know it was in Ireland. Um, and through our own research, then we actually found out that it was also covered under our VHI. So we didn't know it was here. We didn't know it would be covered. Um, and we start looking into it and we eventually met a surgeon um, who was excellent. And it was during that meeting that I realized actually... I need this too. Um, my health was starting to suffer. My weight was increasing and life was becoming very difficult for both of us. We had a very young child at the time and even simple things like getting down on the floor to play with him, you'd have to think, can I get back up? Um, you know, which isn't the way you should be with a young child. And we went in to do our will one day and we were trying to decide who would take our child if something happened, both of us. And we realized this could actually happen we may leave this child with no parents. So we said, no, we have to do something about this. So Alan decided he would go for bariatric surgery um, and he decided to have gastric bypass. And I decided I would follow very shortly after 
um, three and a half weeks after, and I also had a gastric bypass. Um, and our life has changed immensely since. Um, our whole family's life has changed immensely since. We can do so much more with our child. Um, and since then, we've actually had a second child, which we weren't able to have pre the surgery because my weight had caused issues with my hormones or my hormones had caused issue with my weight. I don't know which is which. Um, but our daughter wouldn't be here today if I hadn't have had gastric bypass. Well, congratulations on the, the addition to the family. And I, I want to actually go back to before you had the surgery, because I think it sounds very drastic that you had surgery. And I'm assuming that you maybe took some other steps before you decided that surgery was the oh. right treatment for you. Completely. We, we have done everything. We have done Weight Watchers. We have done Unislim. We have done Lipotrim, which is where you take milkshakes for weeks on end. Um, we did hypnotherapy. We saw dietitians. We, we did everything. Um, you know, we would have stood on our head for six weeks if you told us that it would help us lose weight. And pretty much every diet we did, we were successful at. Um, we always lost weight when we stuck to our diet. Um, our problem was maintaining the weight loss once we actually lost it. So we could lose four stone and then we'd stop whatever diet we were on and the weight would slowly increase. And instead of gaining four stone, we would gain five stone and end up in a worse position than we were to begin with. And we tried and tried. It wasn't through lack of trying or lack of effort or lack of motivation. We did not want to be overweight or obese. We didn't choose to be overweight or obese. And it's very difficult when people are looking going, what are you doing about your weight? Well, my whole life was about my weight and trying to get my weight down. And you get sick of it um, because it's the same thing day in, day out. Neve talked there about whenever somebody is going for treatment, there's a multidisciplinary team involved. And your initial approach to it was it through your GP like where did you go for support so from reading in the newspaper about bariatric surgery um, I got the name of an endocrinologist um, Gene O'Connell in the Black Rock Clinic um, and I decided that we would go talk to her um, because my weight issues I associate with my hormones an endocrinologist deals with hormones so I said I'll go speak to her and we'll see where we go from there um, and when I met her, I discussed um, my weight and the issues we had. And she actually put me on medication to begin with. So we didn't go straight for surgery. Um, so both of us ended up trying medication and we did actually lose weight successfully. But then unfortunately, the side effects of the medication were too much compared to the benefits. So we had to come off it. Um, and it was then she recommended we go and see um, Dr. William Robb, um, who is the surgeon for the bariatric surgery. And it was him and his, his multidisciplinary team who looked after us. So he was, so Dr. Rob was the surgeon. Um, Dr. Gene O'Connell was the endocrinologist. Um, we then had Emer, his dietitian. There was a psychologist um, who looked after us as well. And then separately, I have a physical therapist who looks after um, my overall strength and muscle tone. Um, and over the last three years, we've been seeing those people on and off. Um, and we're actually due to go back to see the dietitian tomorrow. So it's it's something we're going to have to do kind of for the rest of our lives. Just because we have the weight off doesn't mean it stops. Because as Neve said, it's a chronic relapsing condition. So the weight can go back on. 
even though we have had gastric bypass, the weight can go back on and we need to be managed to make sure that it doesn't go back on. You, you've talked about the, the hormone side of things. So in terms of food and your eating habits, having looked at your diet with a dietitian, was there serious issues with your diets or was there just some aspects of it that needed to be tweaked? Um, a bit of both. Um, it, it really depends. Like our, my breakfast, lunch and dinners are, are very healthy. They always have been. Um, you know, if, if I got rid of the bit of junk food that I eat on top of it. Um, but the level of junk food that I would eat would not equate to the amount of weight I can put on. Um, so when my youngest was born, I actually lost weight when I was pregnant and I lost weight from breastfeeding. Um, and I attribute that to my hormones being stabilized. And I've, I've always felt the healthiest I have ever felt is when I was pregnant or breastfeeding, which most women wouldn't say. And when I stopped breastfeeding him, within weeks of stopping breastfeeding him, I had pains everywhere. My eczema flared up. My skin went really bad. Um, and I put on six stone in rapid succession. And my diet had not changed immensely to be able to put on six stone that quickly. And can I ask you mentally, what effect did that have on your mental health, putting on six stones in, in rapid succession like that? Because whenever you're you're working hard to look after yourself and manage your diet and manage your weight and the next thing you get on the scales and you see that dreaded number it it must be extremely demoralizing it is it's heartbreaking because you're looking at what you're eating and you're looking at what you're doing I was working full-time I had a small child um you know and I, I was busy um the weight kept going up but I wasn't eating enough to put on that kind of weight. And then the comments start to come going, oh, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit bigger or, you know, what are you going to do about your weight? Or, you know, any comment whatsoever would always be about the, how big I am getting. Not, is there anything I can do to help you? Would you like me to make you some soup and drop it over to you? Maybe to help if you're that busy? You know, it was always a negative comment about what are you doing rather than can I help you? What advice would you give to somebody listening who can really resonate with your story and what you're telling us? Oh, get help. Help. No, no matter where it is, get help. You need help and you need support. Myself and my husband had gastric bypass together and I honestly think that's why we were so successful because we did it together. Um, there was no junk brought into the house. We both understood each other. We both understood what we were doing. But also we told our families and our friends what we were doing. There's a lot of people hide away from it and don't tell people they're having gastric bypass because they're ashamed that they have to have surgery. I'm not ashamed that I sought medical help for my medical condition. And the help that I sought saved my life and saved my husband's life. So get help. Go to your GP. If your GP can't help, go elsewhere. There is medical help out there. There are teams in loads of hospitals around the country. There's the Matter, there's St. Vincent's, there's Black Rock. There's a public waiting list. Um, unfortunately, it is quite long. But there are dietitians everywhere. Go seek help and get professional help to help you along this journey. It is a medical condition and you need help. You just can't do it on your own. 
Neve, it's great to have Deirdre share her story because it increases awareness about the issue and, and hopefully it would encourage somebody that might need help to go and get help. Um, World Obesity Day this year was another way of trying to raise awareness about the problems associated with obesity. Yeah, and if I could just acknowledge how um, brave and how grateful we are for people like Deirdre who open up. That's not easy. It's not easy to come on and speak openly about something so personal and about the struggles and hardships that one has gone through in their life. So Deirdre, thank you so much for being so open and honest. And we really appreciate that that is not easy, but it really helps us as, as healthcare professionals, as members of society, and perhaps as people who know someone affected by obesity. And it can help us to just frame our conversations and be that more sense, sensitive about the words we use because language and words matter. And sometimes they don't help and sometimes they do harm, but it's about getting the right um, ratio there, the right balance in making sure that we are being supportive in what words we say and how we behave and even our attitudes. World Obesity Day is on the 4th of March. And this year, the theme was addressing obesity together. So the ASOI, which is the Association of the Study of Obesity on the Island of Ireland, and ICPO, which Deirdre is a representative, came together and we held an online event, which is available to watch on the ICPO YouTube channel. And you'll be able to find the event and many different uh, media articles about the day and more about obesity on the ASOI website, which is asoi.info. Well, really, I suppose we, we want, the reason we're doing so much advocacy and trying to raise awareness is because we want a more just and informed society so that people can live healthier, happier and longer lives. And not just those who are affected by, by obesity, but everyone with the statistics that they are, probably everyone knows someone with obesity. And it will really help to make the world and society a much better place for us all. And just to mention the Way to Go service, which is the only paediatric obesity treatment service in Ireland. And it's led by the phenomenal Dr. Grace O'Malley in Temple Street Children's Hospital. And if you are a parent listening and you're concerned about your child or your adolescent, I would highly recommend that you speak to your GP and open up that conversation and in a gentle way, speaking to your child or your adolescent, if appropriate as well. But looking at health, we would always focus on health and enabling young people to grow and develop to their best and their, to their full potential. We don't focus on numbers or on weight. So it's about enabling growth and development when it comes to children and adolescents. And I would also really encourage, as part of World Obesity Day, Slauncha Care, launched a online free training program for healthcare professionals in Ireland and it's CPD accredited and it's training in child and adolescent obesity and to access this free training can you please go on to childhoodobesity.ie and also there's loads of resources on our website childhoodobesity.ie that anyone listening can check out um, and hopefully find useful I think it's really interesting that you talk about eating healthily and I think young people are more aware of that now than they 
they than I would have been at that age as as a young person or as as a teenager. Um, and I think if we give them those life skills to recognize the difference between the junk food and the the healthy eating, and, and I mean we're all entitled to treats and and to enjoy the odd cheat meal now and again. It is all about balance. However, if we have those ideas and that knowledge instilled in them from an early age, then if they find themselves in the position that Deirdre, you find yourself in where you were doing the, the slimming clubs and you were trying everything and the weight wasn't coming off and you didn't realise that it, it could be something else that was was yep. was causing the issue for you. So at least if a young person growing up is consistently eating healthily and knows the difference between what's good and bad, and the next thing the weight comes on, they know it's something outside of what they're eating and their diet. Yeah, um, I, I think if we could... If we can educate our young people on what to eat, even when to eat, where to eat, um, and how to cook, um, it's amazing how many young people don't know how to cook. And I think that um, is one of the benefits that came out of the pandemic, um, that a lot of young people got back into the kitchen and back cooking, um, that they couldn't go out for their meals every day. So they started to use the kitchen again. Um, And I hope that that is something positive that has come out of it. Um, and if our young children can cook for themselves, it's it's an awful lot quicker to cook a meal than it actually is to walk out the door and go down and get a takeaway. It might seem like it's quicker to get a takeaway, but it's actually quicker to cook the food in your own house. And it's nicer to cook the food. And as a dietitian, then, Neve, you must come across people who maybe are eating a healthy diet, but the portion size is is a bit of an issue. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I think this can be sometimes um, challenging for parents as well to know what are appropriate portion sizes for my children and for then teenagers. Because if we think about it, our bodies throughout those different stages of, of the lifespan are developing and growing. And therefore, we do have different needs. We have different energy requirements. We have different nutritional requirements for growth and for development. And some useful um, guides to to look at. Safe Food have some fantastic resources on portion sizes. And there's the new food pyramid for one to four-year-olds, which is a useful guide to look at um, what should I be feeding or what's, what's appropriate what are their appropriate amounts? But I was I would always, when I'm working with families, promote the idea that it's me-sized portions. So when you think about you're dishing up the meals in the house, think about the size of your child's palm of their hand, or just think about the size of their stomach is going to be a lot smaller than yours. So we need to be eating me-sized portions. And the food industry doesn't always help because often we are encouraged and I suppose um, targeted to buy supersized portions and they're almost sometimes it seems cheaper. Um, So, or it seems better value to buy the bigger portions, but then if that's leading leading over time to greater consumption of food, that's not going to be so helpful and helpful to us. And Deirdre, the ICPO is a source of support as well. They're a huge support, Sharon. They're actually a charity that um, have been set up to support people living with overweight and obesity. Um, And since the pandemic started, they've had to move online, unfortunately, like everything else. 
Um, but it's been hugely successful because a lot of people with overweight and obesity um, could be stuck in their homes um, or might not be able to access support group meetings face to face. Um, we run weekly support group meetings, um, which are we would have a physiotherapist attend um, on Zoom uh, once a month. Um, we would have the odd dietitian would come and give advice. Sometimes we have a guest speaking doctor to come. Um, but most times it's just a group of us who sit around and chat about obesity, chat about our journey, chat about things that have helped us, um, you know, what's bothering us. And we, we support each other through our own journey. And it's amazing what little bits of advice you can pick up from listening to other people speaking about the health that they've got or where they've gone or, you know, even little things like what products they found in the shop um, that they can replace something that they can't eat with. Um, and they're, they're a great form of support. Um, we have a Facebook page, um, ICPO Obesity, um, and our regular meetings, if anybody wants to join, um, they can send an email to icpoobesity at gmail.com um, and we can send them on the Zoom meeting links. Fantastic. And it is great to see the way technology can be used in a productive and supportive way, especially during the pandemic. And you mentioned Facebook. And, and I suppose there's no getting away, Neve, from social media and how detrimental social media can be to people suffering from obesity and, and fat shaming that goes on in social media and looking at images of people and thinking that that is the way that you should look. Um, language, the language that people use not only in social media but also in real life can be very important whenever it comes to trying to support somebody. Certainly and I think Deirdre has articulated so well that it's not a case of eat less and move more which unfortunately is the common public health narrative around obesity at the moment and we need to do a lot more in society and I suppose in terms of informing and educating and that's the purpose of of doing talks like this um, to try and make people more aware that obesity is a matter of health it's a gateway to so many chronic diseases and other conditions um, over 230 different complications of obesity including other non-communicable diseases such as cancer, diabetes and heart disease. But bullying has gotten worse and particularly with social media and especially in schools. And a lot of the children and adolescents who attend our service would be affected by bullying, which then affects their, um, I suppose, their wanting or their willingness to attend school. And then this can affect, have a knock-on impact on their educational. And a ch children and adolescents with obesity are much more likely to become adults with obesity. So it is really important that we start having those conversations, that we start supporting each other. And this is for everyone listening. Everyone can do something about how we speak around obesity and not making judgments or comments on people's weight, especially in front of young people. So say if you've got children in the car and someone walks across the road or someone on TV, it is it is not if they're watching you and if you're commenting on that person's weight, they're going to see that and pick up on those attitudes and behaviours. So going to evidence-based and accurate information about weight and obesity, informing ourselves, not blaming and shaming and avoiding language that attributes to a person's um, 
responsibility. It is not, people don't choose to live with obesity. People don't choose to develop obesity. And it's really important to remember that and avoid the negative stereotypes and prejudice exist. Well thanks so much to both of you for coming on the programme to increase awareness about the issue and as Neve said earlier on Deirdre a special thanks to you for sharing your story because obviously it is a very brave thing to do and we very much appreciate it. Be sure to send me on all those different links that you talked about there and we'll put them up on the, the podcast so that people can can look into them and get the support if they need it. And Deirdre, continued success on your journey. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you so much, Sharon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and our next guest tonight is just down the road from us in Ireland's prettiest village Adair. Louis Murphy is the proprietor of the Dunraven Arms Hotel and earlier today I spoke to him to find out about the history of the hotel and how he and his team have been busy despite being closed in these challenging times. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. You're very welcome to the programme. It's great to have you join us this evening from the majestic dining room in the Dunraven Arms Hotel in Adair. I think everybody listening that has ever travelled from Limerick down to Kerry will have passed the hotel and will have seen it. And there's great history surrounding it. The hotel has a wonderful history. It was built in um, 1892. And it was uh, initially started out as houses, post office, um, the vicar's office, etc., and it developed into a coaching inn. Um, it was owned by the Dunraven family that owned Adair Manor across the road, as you know, and this was theirs, and they converted it into a hotel, and it was a coaching inn. Uh, indeed, the horses were stabled at the back of the hotel. I remember when I came here, the stables were still there, magnificent stables. Um, it was very small when my brother Brian came here in 1977 and he came as assistant manager and then the dowager Lady Nancy Dunraven uh, promoted Brian to general manager and it developed from there and I then came and joined Brian in 1990. I had been in the Shelburne in Dublin and then uh, we set about extensions and it went from 30 bedrooms up to where we are now with 90 bedrooms. I think it's easy to go out and build a building from scratch and call it a hotel, but it doesn't have that history and that character attached to it that somewhere like the Dunraven would have. However, that probably poses its own challenges in terms of the responsibility that you have as the custodian of such a historic building. Absolutely. They the it was an old coaching inn, as I said, so it was very important that we kept the uh, atmosphere of the hotel, that we kept the standard of the furnishings and fittings, uh, but at the same time bringing the hotel up to modern-day standards and the requirements of the modern-day traveller and the tourist, etc. So we had to keep a fine balance on it. Um, we have certainly kept the antiques, the furnishings, the fittings um, in that old-world authentic style, um, we have with the bedrooms, then we have added all the features that are required now by the modern day 
um, tourist. Um, but we we take pride in the hotel. We love the place. Uh, it's very important to us that we keep it uh, to a very high standard. We have a motto in the hotel, quality, not quantity. And we uh, also then, when we were doing induction with staff, we teach them. Uh, another motto we have is we're a four-star hotel serving five-star standards. And that's very important to us. And um, we love the village, the whole... Uh, atmosphere around the village is just magnificent with the quality of the restaurants etc and then to have um, JP and his family with a dare manor across the road as the new owners and the standard and quality of the product is just amazing over there and we're very lucky to be um, neighbours just across the road from probably the best hotel in the world. Some people may have the view that a place like a dare manor is competition but actually when you have other good establishments on your doorstep it actually is of huge benefit to all the businesses even if you're a restaurant and there's three other fantastic restaurants well then that brings all those food lovers to that area and all of the restaurants can benefit can benefit from it the um, tourist attractions can benefit from it the coffee shops and then the accommodation providers oh you're dead right um, i mean we've three hotels three wonderful hotels in adair now and then the quality of the restaurants that we have from 1826 across the road and all the other restaurants, they're just fantastic. Adair has now become a destination. So we're very lucky. The hotels were able to supply accommodation that will bring in large conferences, large events. So people look at Adair as a venue now because the availability is there for the rooms. Um, likewise, we have the restaurants, the pubs, all the features it's a magnificent village. You know, it's not called Ireland's prettiest village for no reason. Um, with all the facilities that are there from the new repair um, pitch and the grounds that they have to the new children's play area to Clanshire Equestrian Centre. You know, the golf courses, two of them on our doorstep. We're only half an hour from Shannon Airport. It's a wonderful location. And, you know, the manor has then added to it by virtue of the Pro-Am coming next year. And obviously, as we all know, the Ryder Cup coming in 2027 is a huge boost to Ireland, but a huge boost to Adair as well. Absolutely. It's a huge coup to have that. And I want to ask you in a minute about the Pro-Am and all the fabulous, famous people you've met as a result of that. But before we get on to that, I want to talk to you about your weddings. Like The wedding business in Adair is absolutely amazing. And so much so that your former colleague, John Shovlin, is the official wedding coordinator at the, the church, which is just down the road from you. Absolutely. John was with us over 40 years. And John retired um, a couple of years ago. And um, John has gone in uh, to the church next door. Monsignor Neenan is our new priest. Uh, and he is just such a wonderful man. And he had the foresight to see that John was the ideal man for that job, having worked here and dealt with thousands of weddings. And he does a wonderful job next door uh, looking after the bride and grooms. He is the first person that meets them down there, looks after them. And then they woke up from the church next door to us and we, it's like passing the baton, we take over then and we look after them here. And the weddings are, we do two weddings a week, one on a Friday, one on a Saturday. And they're a very important part of our business. And it's a unique feature coming to a very old hotel. And they love coming for the quality of our staff. We have amazing staff. 
all the ladies that serve and the gentlemen that serve in the banquets are all local. They've all been trained. They work exclusively with us and they've been trained by us. And the quality of service and the way they're looked after, that's the key. And then the famous Chris, our head chef, our famous prime roaster of the beef. We're the only hotel in Ireland that carves the beef in the room at the banquets, at the weddings. And every guest is asked how they would like it cooked, rare, medium, well done. And that is exactly how they get it. Hugh and I and our chefs, Chris and Jan, we carve the beef then in front of the customers. And that's a very unique selling tool. Well, I was just going to say another of the unique features about the hotel is the roast beef. I am not a fan of roast beef, but if I'm ever in the Dunraven at a function or down for Sunday lunch, I have your roast beef. It is absolutely incredible. And as you say, the carving of it and how you would like it. And my husband's there with a knife and fork very clearly showing, I'm not finished. Yes, I'll have the seconds. Thanks very much. You know, and I'd be saying, you know, it's not a target to eat the whole piece of beef that's out there. There's other people have to eat it as well. How did you get the idea to do that? And why are more places not doing it? It's quite a difficult thing to do. Um, I mean, I, I can't claim credit to it. Brian, my brother, had it uh, in operation here before I arrived. But it's all Irish beef and um, it all comes into us. Uh, it's uh, hung for four weeks. That is the key to it. And that it ages. We have a special cold, cold room that's under lock and key. It's only opened once a day. The head chef takes out the beef. And um, it's all matured to a wonderful level. So it is. And we um, carve it off the trolley every night, seven nights a week in the restaurant. And as I said, we do it on the banqueting as well. And then obviously Sunday lunch, which is a very unique. We all love our Sunday roast with the Yorkshire pudding, etc. And that is just beautiful. I love it myself. I have to restrain myself from eating beef too much, seven days a week if I could. Yeah, it is absolutely delicious. And I think it is always great to come across an establishment like yours that has that unique feature. You're saying you're the only one in the whole country doing it. And I'd said, well, why is no, is are other places not doing it? You said, well, it's difficult to do, but I would imagine nobody else wants to do it because they know they won't be able to do it as well as the Dunraven. <laughs> and you mentioned there the, the Pro-Am across the road. It's been at Adair Manor for a number of years and it's due back next year, as is the Ryder Cup. That has attracted some amazing celebrities, some not just well-known golfers, but movie stars and the like. And this week I was privy to a few images of you with the likes of Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. You must meet a lot of very famous people in the hotel, but also during your career in the Shelburne. Yeah, I, I had a wonderful time in the Shelburne, just going back to that. I, I, I as you know, I'm a past Shannon graduate and a wonderful college uh, i just had a wonderful number of years there um but i spent my fourth year placement in, in london and i worked at one of the airport hotels first and then i went into Grosvenor house and park lane in london and i had a wonderful time there it was just an amazing hotel at the time i think it still is at the time it was the largest indoor banqueting room in europe and uh, we did amazing banquets there and I was then very fortunate to go from there to Shelburne in Dublin with Mr. Gerald Lawless, um, who of the Dubai fame, um, he asked me to join him there and I was four years in the Shelburne and uh, 
the ballroom there uh, was refurbished during uh, the time I was there. And it was a massive refurbishment done by um, actually Bernard McNamara. Uh, builders did it. And um, yes, we had some famous dignitaries. The one I'll always remember when uh, Ireland, Italia, when we qualified in the football, well, at the time, uh, Ireland had the presidency of the uh, EU as well. And I'll never forget the night when we won, I think the penalty shootout it was. Well, the Shelburne, we had three uh, premiers staying, I can't remember which countries they were, but we three heads of state staying with us in the Shelburne that night. And Dublin went wild, and uh, <laughs> they rang down complaining about the noise. We had to get the guards, had to close off Stephen's Green from all the revelers that were enjoying all the celebrations because the heads of state were um, getting no sleep. <laughs> and it must be, um, you know, whenever you meet somebody that's maybe an idol or somebody that you have have admired from afar, like to keep... That, to have that level of privacy now, and I'd say that's something that you talk to the staff about if you are having dignitaries or high-profile people come and stay, because in this age of social media, a lot of these people want their privacy to be to be guarded, like they, they value it, and it is something that's a bit more challenging in this day and age. I remember the first program here, um, it was totally different then compared to now. There was no mobile phones. We're taking photographs, etc. It is, but yes, privacy is very important now. So we, as part of induction with all our new staff when they come in, it's uh, one of the areas we go through with social media and privacy and GDPR, etc. We have to be very conscious that uh, you know no photographs are taken of people and people when they come to hotels, they're coming for privacy. They're coming to enjoy themselves. Um, and it's their time off. And we try and say that to all our staff, that remember they're on a break, they're on their holidays or whatever it is. So they don't want media attention. They don't want social media attention. And we respect that. And that's very important. And we treat them as they as we would every other guest. And uh, they're very important, but we make sure that their privacy is respected. Yeah. And, and at the same time, it is nice to have that photograph with them for your own records and for your own files for for future, not to plaster all over social media like, look who's staying with us at the moment. So how do you approach a celebrity to say when they're checking out, look, is there any chance we could get a photograph there with you? That, that's exactly what we do. Well, when they're here, we, we look after them. That's paramount and number one. And 99% of the time, you know, we, we, we get on good terms with them and they're always lovely people. And if we respect their privacy, etc., they don't mind then. We ask, and we'll always go and ask their permission, would they mind if we take a photograph for our own records only and for ourselves? We will not put it on social media. Uh, we will keep it just for our own records. And you've been to the hotel many times and you'll see me some photographs uh, in the hotel of celebrities that have stayed and that's how we do it then you get lovely people who just go listen take as many as you like I remember Gwyneth Paltrow she was here her best friend got married and uh, they stayed in the hotel for three days and she was a wonderful lady and I remember going and asking her would she mind if uh, if we took a photograph and uh, she said absolutely and she involved everybody and she has many staff wanted to photograph with her they were allowed to do it. So, you know, when you get on good terms with them and you respect their privacy, they'll 
obviously reciprocate and when they're ready and the time is right they'll do it. And the other side of the coin is you probably have had some fairly nasty high profile people I won't ask you to name names but you know <laughs> these ones that come across as all sweetness and light on Graham Norton but behind the scenes they're they're absolute nightmares wanting their baths filled with goat's milk and, and all the rest of it have you had any majorly unusual requests like that in your time i'm not i i did more in london than than i would have here that than we would have here in the in the Dunraven. but yeah you get the odd requests and and uh no we, we there's no such thing as tr tricky customers we treat them all the same <laughs> Very diplomatic. One of the, the, the most important skills, I would imagine, to be in that that game. And we're going to talk. We're going to talk a bit more about the industry and working in it in a minute, and the program that you have coming up with the TUI students. But before we get on to that, you mentioned Chris Starr, your head chef, who came up with a fantastic idea with the burgers he created the West Limerick Lamb Burger recently. So that just shows that even though we're in lockdown at the moment or travel is restricted and the hotels aren't open you have still been busy behind the scenes like there's always things to do there and you do the burgers at the weekend we had Chris on a few weeks ago talking about them. Chris came up with this idea with his kitchen team with Jan and the rest of the team and um, we started with the uh, famous beef burger that we serve in the bar we've had it on for a number 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 of years and uh, it's um, a huge hit. People come in, particularly uh, midweek. We often find that um, commercial clients staying with us and they come into the bar. They don't want the formal dining in the restaurant and they might have a beer and a burger and they love it. It's fast and it's, it's done quickly for them. Um, but it's beautiful Irish beef. It's the prime roasted beef again. And uh, Chris and his team prepare that with fresh brioche buns that are made on a daily basis. And with all the trimmings and so he decided why don't we do the same and do it for the um takeaway on fridays and saturdays at the weekends um obviously we were doing it just in a day within the 5k restrictions that we had now we're a, a wider um audience of 20k so within um, the area and they're going very well so he started with the beef then he introduced as you say the west limerick lamb burger and um, two weeks ago, we introduced uh, venison burger as well. So we have a choice on the three. Um, they can be booked online. And uh, we then add it on where we have uh, cocktails. And we also have wine as add-ons that can be bought. So you order from um, Sunday to Wednesday. And then collection is on a Friday and a Saturday. And it's going down extremely well. All the local um, uh, guests are buying them. And we're getting great feedback from it. Fantastic. And it isn't easy to get staff all the time in hospitality. Um, and, and that's something that you're looking at constantly and letting the younger generation know that this is a fantastic career to consider. So over the common weeks, you have a collaboration with your alma mater, Shannon College of Hotel Management, and you're going to be doing online Zooms with various schools in the area to the TY students. Unfortunately, they can't go out and get their work experience at the moment. So this is another novel idea that you've come up with to talk to, to the young people about all the different areas that they can work in in the hotel because it's such an exciting environment for people and it can take you all over the world. Absolutely. I always say to the, the young uh, TY students that come into us, it's an industry where if you learn the basics, 
the opportunities to travel the world are phenomenal. You can go anywhere. And I say to the younger students when they come in as well, learn skills in the bar, the restaurant, and they might necessarily want to go into the business, but when they go traveling to, we use Australia as an example, and they say, we'll take a gap year and head off there. Well, the first thing they're going to do is look for a job. So when they go into pubs and restaurants and various um, um, establishments in Australia, well, have you experienced? Yes, I have. I've worked in a bar, I've worked in a restaurant, I've worked in reception. And I even say to the, the younger students, I've babysit. I've done babysitting. I've done the bottle area. I've done um, stocking of bars. There's a multitude of areas that I, and I'll be covering this with the TY students next week. They undersell themselves with all the work they do. And I often get um, TY students coming in where they're coming from the farming backgrounds. And I say, have you done anything? And they say, no, no, I haven't worked at home. Well, I said, what have you done at home? Well, I milk the cows. I drive the tractor. I bake with my mother, and it might be that mother has a B&B, and I get up and I cook breakfast every morning with her. And then they don't realize the vast array of the skills that they have from home, from working at home. And then young students that live in, in the, say, in a dare or whatever, and they come in, um, we always take them from 16 years of age and older. Um, but we'll bring them in doing small, basic initial tasks such as stocking bars such as bringing out the skips such as the restaurant wash up and various areas like that and they come in for a week or be it two weeks of their ty experience and we give them a bit of a diverse experience they will work up in housekeeping they'll be stocking the water in the bedrooms they'll be stocking the linen cupboard and they gain all this knowledge and it's wonderful for them we always then hope that you'll have one or two of the ty's over a number of years that might decide to come back to us, which we've had several over the years. And they said, yeah, I'd like to come back and get more experience. So then we develop it and they work at the restaurant, they work at the banqueting, serving on the weddings. And then some of these people, which we've had then want to go into the career, to have a career in the hotel industry. So we then help them, be it that they go to Shannon or they go to the um, Chile IT or they go to LIT in Limerick are all the various number of courses that are run all over the country, um, GMIT as well. So we help them to go on and further develop their um, careers in college. And then we always like to get them abroad for work experience. And we have a lot of colleagues that work in, in hotels around the world where we we'll then ring them up and say, listen, I have a very good student. Will you take them on for a year or two? Away they go and gain valuable experience abroad. And then we always like to think that they'll come back to us and stay with us. And we've several people working with us in the hotel that went that career path. I've always been very envious of somebody that did study at Shannon College of Hotel Management because their network of contacts all over the world is incredible. And if they're going to Australia next week or they want to go to Dubai, they'll know somebody working somewhere in a hotel that'll get them that fabulous room, that great rate, the upgrade, whatever it is. So the network of uh, contacts that you have from going to uh, a college like there is, is really useful to have. Oh, it, it is, yeah. Um, and you, you look at um, all around the country here and the quality of hotels that we have now and the quality of the people running them. And if I go back to you know young people starting off here, um, I could name several, but I'll name one. Mr. Niall Rochford, who's the chair manager of Ashford Castle. Niall was here when he was a young chap. 
okay, and he trained here. Um, and uh, I wasn't here at the time, it was Brian, my brother. And Brian always says he was just, he knew from the very outset, this is going to be a wonderful, wonderful young man. And look what he has. He's proved to be one of the best in the world. Um, but I know Niall worked abroad, all my friends all worked abroad, and it's wonderful experience when you can travel. As I said, I was in London, but I was in Germany as well. And Shannon gave me that opportunity in second year to go and work in Germany. And I worked in, in, in a restaurant complex. It wasn't a hotel. It was a fine dining restaurant and another large restaurant. And I gained invaluable. I learned, I learned German, number one. And I gained invaluable experience there. And it was all in the kitchen. I love the kitchen. I love cooking. I personally am of the opinion that the kitchen is one of the most important places. Um, and the quality of the food is what brings people to the hotel. It's what brings people to restaurants. You can have the nicest restaurant in the world. But if the food is poor, you're going nowhere. So I always instill that with our assistant managers and with everybody that comes into the hotel, that the food is very important and that everybody learns about the quality of food, taste the food, that is crucial. And the Shannon students, we have two of them with us at the moment on their fourth year placement. And that's one of the areas that we worked very hard with them. And we'd like to think now that they they will, when they leave us, that they'll go on with a really good knowledge of food and quality of food. And they are ambassadors for the Dunraven and Adair and West Limerick and Limerick then, wherever in the world they end up, which is an added bonus. Yeah, of course it is. They're ambassadors and they travel everywhere. Um, you know, you, if you go back onto Shannon, you could say their managers are all over the world. Um, and you talked about they having the opportunity to travel Shannon, and, and it's not just Shannon, it's GMIT as well, and all the catering colleges. Um, there, if you contact a hotelier in, we call it Four Seasons in, in, in New York, and he's a Shannon graduate and been through the college, they'll take on Shannon students without even, most cases, without even doing an interview because they know the quality will be very good. And be it Shannon or GMIT or whatever it is, the training that they get here in Ireland is second to none. It really is. Um, it's a good grounding. They learn the basic skills first and away they go from there. Fantastic. Well, listen, lovely to talk to you today, Louis, and catch up with everything that's happening. By the sounds of it, you're extremely busy, even though the hotel isn't open, but hopefully that will not be for much longer that you will be up and running again in a, in a few months and I look forward to visiting then for the roast beef. Well we look forward to welcoming you and I'll make sure I'll have plenty of beef on that night for your husband. <laughs> Thanks a million Louis. Lovely to talk Shane. thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. That's all we have time for tonight, unfortunately. Thanks for listening and to my guests, Neve Arthurs, Deirdre Murphy and Louis Murphy. Until next week, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!